can't believe we're at the end! Ah! Hey there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today we are talking about Volume 7, Episode 13, The Enemy of Trust. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I can trust any of you right now, but... Just so we all know who to keep an eye on these shady characters, let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic panel to my right, Katie Cullen. It's okay, I've already shot one of our youngest members off a cliff, so we're good. It's fine. Well, you know, at least you were honest about it. I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> Yeet. Calling in from Los Angeles, Stacy Shuttleworth. Actually, it's general to you. Oh, <laughs> oh good lord. Oh no. <laughs> Um, okay, good. I'll keep that in mind, General. And calling in from all the way across the country is Mark Badonica. Considering the sheer amount of stuff that I got right in predictions this season, I wouldn't trust me either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do you know something, Mark? Mark is secretly Kruby. Man, (laughs) I wish. Well, here's the thing, guys. I established early on, I was very upfront with the fact that I put secret cameras into all of your homes, and I'm just, Mark, yeah, do you have some sort of surveillance network that you weren't honest with us about? He just reverse engineered yours. I put up the same photo. I found all of the cameras, and I put a photo up in front of them, so you haven't seen anything. Damn it. (laughs) Clever I was going to go with clever girl, but that's not correct. Oh, whatever. Just very clever, Mr. Donica. <laughs> it's just a photo of the little nomad of nowhere buddies. That's it. <laughs> They're I actually right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why there were so many plushies there. They were adorable to look at, though. All right. Well, Mark, you should definitely pat yourself on the back because you definitely had a few predictions that came true. And I had a few predictions that came true, so I'm just going to go ahead and pat myself right here. Me too. Even the ones where I was predicting where I was being terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I think think one of the reasons why I think this was a pretty satisfying finale is because it had all these different plot lines that ended up coming together in a way that made sense. But also, it didn't feel, like, overly predictable, even if we did predict a couple of things. Like, it was a satisfying type of conclusion. Um, but, yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and dig into it a little bit. What are our initial thoughts of this finale? Uh, because this is, yeah, this is the, the end of this particular volume, and it's going to be a long time before we get volume eight. So what did we think of this as the conclusion to this volume? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. This was, this felt a lot like a mid-season finale, and that's not to sort of discredit or put down the content that we got, because we did get a lot of, not stopgaps, like checkpoints of certain story things, but no matter how small or how large they were. So I think this was very successful in what it needed to do. Um, I, I think there was a lot of, there has been a lot of scuttlebutt of quote nothing happens in ruby which i fullheartedly disagree with and try saying that now (laughs) 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 nothing happens in ruby stares at the floor nothing happened it's fine everything's fine (laughs) oh man stacy how about you there was a lot of screaming over this episode (laughs) 
this this was a lot and we got a lot of kind of pieces from earlier in the episodes that kind of culminated in this one and i kind of agree with mark it did feel like we're at a checkpoint in a lot of places but we have kind of like fulfilled a lot of character arcs to get here and now we're going to see like going forward now we we kind of are at that plateau i feel like i feel like this set everything up to a very satisfying point where we can we can actually take on the big bad now yeah she's she's here she's not waiting around uh anymore she's not gonna hang out in the shadows she's like nope i'm here (laughs) time for the show to start uh katie how about you got a whale of a tale to tell you lads a whale of a tale or two (laughs) yeah woof um I kind of figured that we were going to get cliffhangered here. There were just way too many plot threads to be resolved in what was essentially a 17-minute episode plus X amount of credits. Um, That said, I really do love what we got. Maiden Bowl 2020 was a blast. Um, I appreciate it. I wasn't expecting a lot of what happened with Oscar, but I appreciated that we got it, and I think it was very much needed. And going off of the this felt very satisfying... I feel like we've kind of done the anti-Game of Thrones or the anti... It just, anytime someone, anytime a content creator looks at the internet and says, oh shit, they figured out what I want to do, I have to change everything to surprise them. No, incorrect. Your audience is intelligent and invested. So it doesn't matter if they figure out what you're going to do. What matters is that you stick to your guns, you stay with your plan, and you execute it as good as you possibly can. There's actually, I believe it's a George R. R. Martin quote about this, saying, well, you know, if you set up this whole book that the butler did it, the butler did it, and then you see online and someone figured out the butler did it, and you go, oh, well, I don't want anyone to predict it and change it to the maid, you've ruined your entire story because there's no setup for this twist. So I appreciate that Kruby is not doing that, <laughs> is staying the course with what they have. And so we can sit here and say, oh, yeah, no, I totally predicted it. Like, let's be real. I've been making jokes about, oh, yeah, no, Clover's going to die since we met him. And then when he did, it was devastating. So it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, you can predict the bare bones of something, but when the execution is top tier, the prediction doesn't really matter. You can sit there and say, I was right, but holy cow, I was not expecting that. And that is a well-written, well-executed story. So I really appreciated this uh, This two towers, basically, is what <laughs> we have. And I think next volume, we're going on to essentially Return of the King for the Atlas arc. Yeah, I, I to re- reiterate that point and what you were saying, Mark, this definitely feels like part one of a two-parter is done. Um, Like volume seven and eight really feel like they're going to be companion pieces. And I really appreciate that too, like that it wasn't just like our characters cut and run at the end while still leaving all of this stuff with Mantle and Atlas unresolved. Like all of those things that kind of we, we dealt with in this volume are going to play a part in what comes next because we're still in Atlas. Like, th- like there are still people here. Um, 
So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how all of that resolves. That being said, uh, that cliffhanger though, uh, (laughs) oh man, it's going to be a long, long wait uh, before the fall when, when Ruby comes back. So we're calling that whale Monstro, right? Like it needs a name. (laughs) It needs a name. That's kind of what I'm going with. And the fact that we have Geppetto and Pinocchio both on board here on an easily swallowable ship. Like, I I think we're calling that whale Monstro. I think that's what we're going with. Uh, It might be a little bit too easy to predict, but what if all of Volume 8 takes place within that giant grim whale? I will have Kingdom Hearts flashbacks and they will be bad. Yeah, that, that, oh. Hopefully it doesn't use the same color palette. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, just the thought of it. (laughs) Okay. No. <laughs> hey, we found a Trinity. <laughs> Let's see if we can blends into the weird blue and green aesthetic in here. It's super weird. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Like I'm sorry. No. I didn't mean to give everybody Kingdom Hearts flashbacks. Yes, you did. Well, you did, Megan. And that was very irresponsible of you. It was. So now let's go ahead and just pretend it didn't happen and repressed. Done. So like half of the plot of Kingdom Hearts then. And repressed. (laughs) Let's talk about this episode. Guys, uh, let's go ahead and start it off with this Neo fight. It is like, it's funny because we saw a grand Neo fight at the very beginning of Volume 6, but that feels like it was a million years ago since we actually got to see her in action. Um, so this this was a lot of fun. Like, it's Neapolitan versus Team Juniper. And ultimately she ends up escaping and getting away with the lamp. But getting to that point was so, so fun to watch and seeing her pull her tricks and use transformation and seeing her, much like a a very well-skilled martial artist, like an Aikido artist, using her opponent's momentum and techniques against them. It was just so, so fun. So what was your take on this particular fight and what was your favorite moment? Let's go ahead and start with Stacey. I think watching Neo in action is just a delight because her movements are so interesting and so fluid that seeing her fighting, I mean, it's this dramatic mix of dancing and fighting almost, and she is dramatic about it, (laughs) which I appreciate. Ruby needs more dance fighting. (laughs) Obviously, (laughs) obviously. But just the fact that she is clearly so trained so hard and just is an incredible fighter and almost seems to take joy in just deflecting team junipers so as as frustrating as it was to see her easily like bounce back after all of their attacks her little smirks as she like spins her umbrella and pushes back against like you know nora's full blast attack (laughs) that was just a good moment oh it's it like it's it's a love to hate it sort of moment where it's just like no but that was awesome <laughs> uh katie how about you i would agree that it looks like she's been trained as a dancer just with those movements and that that sort of poison grace translates really well to beating the living daylights out of someone it just depends on how you execute it <laughs> 
Um, this was a great fight, all the different stages of it. I think the most yelling I did was when she straight up pulled the Maze Hughes maneuver and went, I look like someone you love, don't hurt me. Like, oh. I posit that she didn't know that that would be most effective on Ren and that she would have pulled that on any of the members of Team Juniper. But the fact that she did it anyway and that she did it to him, like, oh, dear God. Yep, it's super effective. Oh. So this was a lot of fun to watch. And honestly, I'd say Oscar did the best job in this fight, despite being singled out and already beaten up and exhausted because he kept her from getting the relic that one time. And that's more success than just about any of them had. Let's be real. <laughs> We're going to uh, drill down on that um, puppy dog eyed moment. Uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and hit the button to take us to the love loft. We'll be there in a few minutes. Uh, Mark, <laughs> in the meantime, as the escalator's going up, what was your favorite part of this fight and what did you think of it overall? That threw me off so much. Like, you hit a <laughs> button to call the escalator, but it should be moved. Like, it's. Oh, we're on the stairs now. We, we keep the escalator off when it's not in use because it saves power. We are an eco-friendly shipping loft. It's a, this is a weird house. We need to talk to the builders. <laughs> oh, wait, I built it. It's all my fault. Anyway. You did this. That's canon. The, the weirdest thing to me about this fight was that they weren't working as a team until a certain point. They just sort of went crazy and went one on one on one on one until the moment where they all just started kind of dogpiling on top of her. And and that surprised me a little bit with the amount of work that we saw them do together and separately and, and the focus on teamwork and teammates and all of that stuff. I was very surprised that they didn't come at it together and throughout the whole Juniper arc in this episode. I wasn't surprised that John was the person to keep everybody together, but... That that was really the most surprising thing to me. Um, we we all sort of posited that Neo was going to use some team member of Juniper, though we were surprised, or at least it when the moment happened, I wasn't surprised that he, she used Nora, but I I was a little surprised that she didn't go straight for the heart for for Jean because he seemed to be the glue. But a fun quote fun scene between everybody here. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, yeah, you're you're not wrong, Mark. I like there there was a moment or two where I was like, oh, what if she pulls? You know, what if she uses her ability to turn into Pira? And oh man, that would have that would have been really upsetting. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that wasn't the case. Um, that being said, Oscar kind of deserves like a little bit of an MVP thing here because not only not only was he able to keep her from getting the lamp that one time but he had also already previously been fighting her and so when they had to start running from the Elysian soldiers it was it like he was already running ragged a little bit and and so it makes sense that he would have fallen behind and like, it also makes sense as to why a little later on, like, we see his semblance break after one hit. Like, it's it's all stuff that makes sense, and it all, it, it all worked very organically, I thought. Admittedly, that hit was also getting shot at, <laughs> at pretty much point-blank range by a very large gun, so, yeah, I'll take it. 
We'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, Due process. And oh, look at that! We're at the top of the level off now. Ooh. Yay! So yes, we have this moment of Neo making puppy dog eyes at Ren while she look while she's appearing as Nora, and he finds himself unable to hit her. He he hesitates, and that allows her to get away. And then, like, a little, like, moments later, we see him crying uh, because he knows that he messed up in that moment. And, you know, after they they make their initial escape from the guards, he actually kind of blows up at everybody a little bit because he's so frustrated with himself for having allowed that to happen. And now they are down a lamp. Ironwood has the staff, and as he puts it, and we have nothing. And honestly, kudos to Neith for for the great vocal performance in this moment. Um, Because, like, hearing Ren, who's normally very quiet and very reserved and very soft-spoken, scream at Nora kind of broke my heart. And so let's, let's talk about this moment and what it means for their relationship moving forward. Because we've seen a lot of will they, won't they this season. And even though they had that wonderful kiss and like, hey, let's just stop thinking about this and just act on it. Then he seemed to backtrack a little bit um, because he seemed to be more focused on duty. Is this something that's going to add to them being driven apart for a time? Or, you know, are they going to have to, you know, kind of, work through this so that they can ultimately come back together stronger. And uh, Mark, I know you don't like being up here in the love loft, but let's go ahead and start with you so that you can run back down as soon as possible. Hey, I've, I've made my case several times on cannon ships versus shipping for no reason, <laughs> so I'm not even going to go into that. But in terms I've installed of- a zip line for you, though. <laughs> It'll go right back down to the conspiracy corner. Yeah, I just don't want to knock any more bottles down again. But w- with this... <laughs> It, it makes it seem like the couple of predictions we made earlier in the season of Ren joining the Aesops and Nora joining the Happy Huntresses might be a little bit more likely now that we know that we're staying in Atlas for the next season. And regardless of if that happens or not, uh, it's going to be very hard right now, I think, to keep everybody together because Ren has had such an emotional outburst i guess is the a way to put it but i don't see the team staying together for whatever is the immediate next step they're gonna face it together and then after that things i fear are gonna start to break apart like whatever whatever it might be i don't think the team at least for for a small sojourn aren't going to be together for a little bit I think that's fair. Stacy? Yeah, I think we've got a splinter kind of forming, and I think we saw it in their body language once they made it to the ship, uh, that things were not looking so cohesive for them. I think Ren's reaction was really interesting this episode, too. He's been pretty good at deflecting feelings, focusing on duty. When push came to shove and Nora kind of nudges him about it, he faced it and kind of turned into it, but this was the first time he's really had to 
face it head on when the stakes were high. And it seemed like his own reactions surprised him. That, because he knew that wasn't Nora, but it still didn't make a difference. And I think the emotional reaction was something that is not really cohesive with his kind of very, we have a job to do, we are going to, we have a duty to fulfill, we have to stay focused, and that is going to be a point of contention. He, you know, has a choice to make. So this made him realize just, probably just how much Nora means to him, uh, being faced with it in such a stark context. So he can close off and focus in on training and, yeah, turn to, for example, the Aesops. Or he can swing completely the other way. And I'm not sure where we're going with that. I I kind of like the idea of him, yeah, realizing just how much she means to him, that just the mere image of her um, was enough to throw him off. And that, like, uh, yeah, I, I like that idea of that, like, contextualizing that for him. Like, he didn't realize how much he really cared up until that moment. But, yeah, it could also very easily backfire for sure. Oh, yeah. Katie, how, how about you? Well, that's why I called it the Maze Hughes Maneuver. You know it's not them. You know it's a shapeshifter, but you still just can't do it. So, yeah, but Ren came out a little better in that one than uh, Hughes ever did, so. Oh. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist. Good times, great oldies. Hurt my heart. Uh... <laughs> I posit that, one, even if we hadn't had the ship happen, even if the kiss hadn't happened, I still don't think Ren could have pulled the trigger. And two, I don't think anyone on the team could have done it. Let's be, I think the only person who could have done it would have been Nora. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real. So I do think that this is going to take a little bit of soul searching from, from Ren and from the whole team. But I also don't think that's something we're going to see until the end of the next volume. Until the end of nine, possibly in seven? We just finished seven. I'm yes. losing my mind. Until, <laughs> until the end of eight, possibly the beginning of nine. Because I don't think anyone's going to have the time to do it. So I think this is something where it's a character beat that we notice. But I think it's going to be tabled until the immediate overwhelming crisis is over in one way or another. I don't think we're done killing people, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, no, this this was very well executed and also very painful. So, you know, about right for this point in the show. So a typical Ruby ship, yes. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> At um, least they're both still alive. Oh, stop rubbing it in. All right. I'm also thinking of Jean and Pira for that. (laughs) That's what I said. Stop rubbing (laughs) it in. Um, Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, I'm going to go ahead and make myself some hot chocolate before we walk back down the stairs. Um, Is there anything else we wanted to touch on while we're still up here in the love loft? Did we stop the escalator? Are they stairs now? Well, you have to, as you said, we we have to turn off the power. (laughs) It's to save energy. (laughs) Ah, good times. Uh, is there anything else we want to touch on between Ren and Nora before we move on? No. All right. We nailed it then. All right. Um, so Team Juniper ends up getting separated in this moment when Pietro, another MVP for this episode, 
manages to restore communications and they start making their getaway. But Oscar ends up going the other direction. And where does he head to but the cha- the the chamber where the staff is being held, where Ironwood happens to be waiting for winter. Now, this is a, a moment of confrontation where it it was alluded to in the opening, but like we had all kind of dismissed it because, you know, we had those moments of training between the two of them. I all I'll be honest, like this was a confrontation I wasn't necess I, I thought we would get some iteration on, but I will be honest, I did not see it panning out the way that it did. Uh, what did we think of this confrontation between Ironwood and Oscar, um, where Oscar comes into his own? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Katie. See, you call it the confrontation, and my brain just goes, Valjean, at last, we see each other playing. Yeah, no, I'm... My, my I'm, brain always goes there. I'm there today, you guys. It's a musical sort of episode. Um... <clears throat> The, the whole scene with Ironwood shooting at the camera and then looking sad in the opening suddenly makes a lot more sense, except I'm pretty sure he didn't look sad here. Um, I get it. I get this turn for Ironwood. I get the, we tried it your way and it failed and now everything is terrible, so we're doing it my way. I get the, nobody else can see the bigger picture, the bigger picture except for me. Like, all of you are unable to do what needs to be done. It makes sense for his character, but you can also see he's still very much running scared. They all are, but this is who he becomes when he's afraid. He battens down the hatches and takes power. Uh, It's the Tin Man losing his heart in the moment of crisis. So, yeah, this... I feel like this also kind of drove home to the audience, people who are like, oh no, Ironwood's right. Oh no, Ironwood does this. It's like, yeah, Ironwood just shot one of the few characters whom I think nobody hates. Because there's there's contention over every character in this show. There's a whole bunch of people who love him, and then there's always the faction that's like, oh no, this person's terrible. Oh no, I don't like this person. I think Oscar is one of the few characters that doesn't have that faction of people who are like, mmm, Oscar. I think everyone's like, yes, him, the boy. So Ironwood shooting Oscar, of all people, is one of those moments of, look, even if you agree with his methodology, you kind of have to look at this and go, yeah, that's beyond the pale. He just he just murdered a kid. Or he just attempted to. So yeah, that's I think that says a lot about where Ironwood is right now. But I also appreciate Oscar kind of being able to pull it together with very minimal help from Oz. Just that sort of, oh, okay, yeah, no, I I need to get this figured out. I need to make this work. And being able to draw on presumably magic because you can't use your semblance when your aura is broken. So yeah, I appreciated this quite a bit. I think it was a hell of a character moment for Oscar and I can't wait to see where we go from here. Especially since he, he and Tyrion, but he's the only one on the ground during this incoming crisis. So, ye, I think we need to stop calling him the baby. Agree to disagree. Uh, hey, wow. <laughs> no. Wow. What do you think? Oh, I'm going to invalidate it all in three words. <laughs> Bye. 
<laughs> I just meant on the baby part. I know. I know. I'm messing. You know I'm messing. Mark, how about you? Well, definitely before Baby Yoda, Oscar was the child. <laughs> Oscar was always the child. And he came into his own. You know, I don't think... Um, I don't think Oz has really been around as evidenced by his uh by his return and subsequent dialogue at the end of of the episode. So I think this was Oscar going out taking a chance on his own and it not necessarily working, but I think his subsequent return to face Ironwood will have an effect on him. And I don't know if I had mentioned this before, but somebody in our Discord had mentioned the symbolism of Ironwood's human half being in a sling, necessarily, or, or showing that it's effectively dead and and or under repair, so that his mechanical side, like you said, the Tin Man without the heart, uh, shining through, so that there's also a visual representation of the change that he's currently going through being seen. And I, first of all, love that. And second of all, I I think that the follow-up fight is going to be a lot closer to the gravity fight that we got, where it's just going to be Oscar flying around like a crazy person and, <laughs> uh, and Ironwood playing Duck Hunt. So who's the dog laughing every time he misses? Uh, Oz inside Oscar's body. <laughs> I need this. I really do. It's kind of beautiful. Um, I I love I love that I love the that visual mo what you were saying that visual motif of Ironwood's human half being restrained or incapacitated in some way and you know what's left is the general that's freaking beautiful and yeah the I seeing Oscar use magic after his semblance breaks is I think going to be a lot of fun especially given um that we have multiple maidens in play now so it's going to be a lot of fun seeing ruby go full anime multiple times next volume <laughs> um between oscar's magic and the the maiden abilities um so that's going to be a hoot uh stacy how about you this moment was such a triumph for oscar both just going down there knowing unfailingly what the right thing to do and what he had to do and doing it without hesitation and then just Coming into his own, really, he is going places, and I'm here for it. I'm very excited to see how we get kind of a meld and how we work out this. Oscar is very clearly his own person who will make his own decisions, but he's not afraid to look to Oz anymore, which I think is important in the coming events. And as far as Ironwood goes... This scene actually really cemented for me the his it really cemented how actually human he is. I think that when faced with fear, he absolutely shuts down and is like, "Nope, okay, we are thinking about this from a mechanical standpoint only. There's no human emotion involved in this decision." 
And I felt like in this scene, we really see him blaming Oscar, blaming, you know, saying, oh, as soon as I let my guard down, as soon as you suggest that we soften up and kind of take care of everyone, then something terrible happens. And I think that made it exceptionally clear that what he's really doing is completely blaming himself. And as such, having a complete opposite reaction and going, okay, well then, no more emotions in play. We're going to be as textbook as we can about this. Yeah, it was kind of, uh, not to make a connection to a, a completely different property, but it was like when Mother Gothel was like, oh, you want me to be the bad guy? Okay, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Only she was a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the symbolism of, oh yeah, as human half is in a sling, given that he flayed himself alive to get out of a trap. And this is, followed it up with the line, I will sacrifice anything. And the, I really hope you do. Like, well, this is him sacrificing anything. Yep. Good, good. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. That that brings me up to my follow-up question. Um, he shot the baby off a cliff. First of all, Can how dare he, you? Yeah, how, yeah. how dare you? Can he be redeemed? Because that is crossing a line. Is there any way for his character to come back from that? Because he does seem to have good intentions, but has clearly lost his way. And when you cross a line, sometimes there is no going back. And sometimes in order to redeem yourself, you have to pay the ultimate price. So can Ironwood be redeemed or is he just as much a villain now as Salem is? Um, let's go ahead and start with Mark. I mean, no genocide, so <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think I don't think that's a fair assessment. But when it came to Leo, I don't know if Leo ever found his courage. You know, even the little moment that he had near the very end of his life, I don't necessarily know if he found his courage. But Ironwood, we know that he's shown evidence of a heart not necessarily <laughs> at all times but um i think it may come in a moment of sacrifice where he he thinks what he's doing is f for the greater good and, and on his way there and then he he might change his mind and do something that's to help everybody at the cost of his own life because right now it seems like he's going with I'm the only person who knows what to do. I'm the only, I'm the only, I, 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 me, me, me. So I think a moment of self-sacrifice at the behest of the world seems like it would probably be in the cards for him. That's what I think we're going to see happen eventually, whether it's season eight, season nine. I think the end of Ironwood will be a moment of sacrifice that helps everybody. Uh. <laughs> it's gonna hurt me good night that's daddy the way we go <laughs> oh. wow wow nope <laughs> uh, sorry mark there's gonna be a lot of audio spikes there uh, uh stacy how about you i think similarly yeah right now we have an ironwood who needs to be the one in charge, who needs to be the one making the decisions. He is the only one who is right and who understands what's going on. 
So I think his redemption, if we go there, is going to be more along the lines when he finally concedes power to someone else, admits maybe that someone else might have a higher authority or a better plan. But I do think we're a ways off from that. I think right now we are very firmly in the fear that needs to be the leader. Yeah, I I concur. It's gonna it's gonna take a real um come to Jesus moment, I think, for him to to redeem himself and it's gonna be it's it, it's gonna be interesting to see how and why that happens if it does. Um I kind of wonder if ultimately winter will play a role in that um given what we see later in the episode or or maybe I don't know. Maybe he won't get redeemed. It'll it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out because not everybody gets that chance. And even though that would break my heart, not everybody gets that chance. You make your choice, and sometimes you have to live with the consequences. Katie, it's kind of hard to have a come to Jesus moment when you shoot the Jesus analog. <laughs> Just generally speaking, um. Yeah, I really do think that what happens with Ironwood at this point is going to be contingent on what happens in this battle. How does he react to seeing this? What do our what do our group of protagonists do? Like I think his fate is up in the air just as much as anyone else's. But I will also say that it's a really really bad time to be a headmaster of any of the academies right now. Because we're kind of two for two for getting murdered. So I don't just just in terms of pattern recognition, I don't necessarily see this going super well for him. Yeah, well, we'll see how it all wraps up. Um, Like I said, I hope he gets redeemed. I've always really liked his character and adding this adding Everything we've gotten from him this volume has made him an interesting, not only an interesting character, but an interesting antagonist. And I, you know, you can 100% see his point of view and why he's going down this route. It was adequately foreshadowed. And yeah, basically, long story short, its execution was really, really, really effective. And even though it breaks my heart to see Daddy go down this road, <laughs> Daddy, no, um, Daddy, no. Um, <laughs> it, I like. Ultimately, it's really satisfying, and I can't wait to see what happens with him in the next volume. Uh, is there anything else we want to touch on before we move on? All right. Well, I'm gonna take this moment really quickly to talk to you guys about iTunes. Folks, thank you so, so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave comments. We love hearing from you. It helps make us more searchable as people are looking for Rooster Teeth content online. And guys, it also just brightens up our day in addition to all that. And we typically like to give shout outs to people who leave iTunes reviews. So I think we have a few of them here. Um, Mark? We do. We have a couple. We've got one from Allocat58675. Five stars, lovely positive podcast. This is a wonderful pos- po- yeah. This is a wonderful podcast for all Ruby fans. The hosts are positive and analytic. Thank you for the lovely content. Thank Aww, you very that's much. That's so sweet. And then we have <laughs> we have uh, we have a five star review from Camp Griffin, your friend. It says that uh, <laughs> uh, worth booting up iTunes for the first time in years. 
Writing this review has been a long time coming, but after the last year, I couldn't wait anymore. Following the Rooster Team on their journey has been an absolute delight. It has always been a lot of fun watching them on their former platform, but in moving to their own podcast and opening their Discord last year, they've really begun to soar. Their discussions of Rooster Teeth shows and all the analyses, jokes, theories, and ships, sorry Mark, that go into them make you feel like you're right there with them and part of the conversation. Oftentimes, you are. They pull comments and discussion topics straight from the Discord server and from interactions on Twitter. They give serious topics the weight they deserve as well. Discussing things like actors being dropped from shows after certain allegations, crunch issues at Rooster Teeth, and the issue of LGBTQ representation. These topics are always presented with the proper respect. From Ruby to Red vs. Blue, from Genlock to Camp Camp, from Nomad to the next show on Rooster, the next show Rooster Teeth abandons. Oh. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that part. Oh my goodness. Oh, the, <laughs> the Rooster, sorry Scout. The Rooster Team will be there to talk about it, and I'll be there to listen. Thank you, Cam. Thank you so much, Cam. That's really sweet. Woof. <laughs> and in case it got lost in the shuffle, I'll say it again. Sorry, Scout. <laughs> Yikes! On a related note, if you want to go to social media and tweet at Rooster Teeth and say hashtag Bring Back Nomad, that would be super. Um, but no, thank you so much, Cam. Uh, thank you. That was extremely sweet. But speaking of social media, there are different ways to interact with us as well. Uh, and uh, as as Cam alluded to, we like taking questions and comments from social media as well. We like giving those guys a shout out. And I think we have a few of them this week, too. We've got a couple. We've got some extensive ones as well as some, uh, some pretty simple ones. Um, my favorite of the last week being from Malachroma. Uh, Sees the latest Rooster Team episode as another two-hour one with a gif of Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> Not wrong. Just primo. Primo biz. Um, Chris Campbell at Chris Sarasaurus. Uh, Rooster Team did a phenomenal job tackling their breakdown of Ruby Volume 7 Chapter 12, especially considering the complex, sensitive topics that needed covering. Great job as always. P.S. I may have giggled aloud hearing my no-no-no-nook get referenced. <laughs> it's, a val- it's a regular part of the house that we visit, just not always on air. Um, usually when we're watching it. <laughs> yeah, I've got a pillow fort in there when the episodes come out. <laughs> Uh, we have and a lot of soundproofing. <laughs> we have from uh, Billy Pollahan, B Buster Bill, Hail Queen Salem, how dare you? <laughs> uh, Although, let's be honest, that outfit is Yas Queen. Yeah. My God, she got a glow up. She <laughs> had to. Did she make a grim tailor so that she could like get all of her stuff, whatever? Or maybe she's just a good seamstress. Who knows? We don't know. Congrats, I hope Look, so. Girl is wearing spines on her upper arms. That's how you know it's business. Yeah, that's the the going out evil robes. Uh, from <laughs> making my way downtown. <laughs> from Shadow Angel, we've got guys. I figured it out during the episodes of Ruby. Someone in the kingdom has a chaos emerald. Secondly, the <laughs> yeah. The Shadow Angel leaves us some extensive stuff fairly frequently, and for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to mention it all, but we really do uh, appreciate it. Uh, it's sort of like a uh, a live uh, tweet to us of the show, and we appreciate it. Um, and then also, thank you, Andrew Fedge, for uh, tweeting out um, to 
before I take on the Ruby finale, I just wanted to say thanks for the podcast last week. Um, yeah, a lot of personal feelings about the uh, Tyrion and Crow and Clover, and uh, we appreciate it. And and anybody else, um, let uh, I have to change accounts for this one. Excuse me. Um, Miraculous Corazon tweeted uh, an extensive. Or not an extensive, but a paragraph as to why Oscar is the best, which I'm sure we'll continue to talk about. And then uh, Joe Colbel, uh, great show again. Uh, thank you, Mark Budonica, for your take on the Crow Clover relationship. I too never got the ship from what it was in the show. I also had to look up what MLM was. Imagine my surprise that it's not multi level marketing anymore. So I learned something. <laughs> Expanding horizon. <laughs> But yeah, uh, last week was a very, uh, very particular episode, a very uh, specific episode that we all and and anybody else can speak on this too. We all took a lot of time in making sure we wanted to speak the right way about it, and to get the response that we got is uh, is pretty nice. So um, thank you everybody for acknowledging the the care that we put into that discussion. And yeah, talking about that, um, once again, special shout out to uh, that Kaito Dan, who uh, who also, you know, very much um, to spread the word about our analysis on the last episode. Uh, definitely go and check out his review. He's a friend of the show. And uh, his words of encouragement were really, really encouraging. So, you know, which is what encouragement is. That was a smart thing for me to say. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, no, thank you, Dan. That It was very, very sweet. And it was, it like, we, I, yeah, we, we took a lot of consideration as to how we wanted to tackle that. And so seeing him, you know, spread the word about our show in that way really helped me feel like we nailed it. Um, and also special shout out too to Unicorn of War, who has also been doing a lot to spread the word about our show. Um, this entire volume. And um, I think that, again, that kind of meant a lot in particular for the last episode as well. So thank you. Thank you, Unicorn of War. Thank you, That Kaito Dan, and to everybody who's been spreading the word about our podcast this season. Um, it really means a lot to us. So um, yeah. And if you want to join in the conversation on social media, you can follow the whole team at the Rooster Team and join our Discord server. There are lots of different ways you can support us. Um, that's how you can be a part of the conversation in the community, but you can also buy stuff from our tea public and, uh, you know, buy a t-shirt of the silly things that we say, or you can support us with a monthly subscription on anchor. So, uh, no matter what way you choose to interact with us or support us, it really, really means a lot to us and we cannot thank you enough. So thank you so, so much for everybody for listening and for everything that you do. You guys are the best. All right, guys, you know that the commercials are done, so you know what time it is. It's time for Maiden Bowl 2020. <laughs> we have a fight between Cinder, Winter, and Penny, all for the, uh, I guess, dibs on the Winter Maiden's powers. <laughs> <laughs> You really had the DBC announcer going there for a minute. For a hot second until I said called dibs. Um, <laughs> but yes, guys, we got ourselves another maiden fight, kind of this volume. 
And this was a lot of fun. Like this is something we've been anticipating basically ever since we got to meet the Winter Maiden in this volume. We knew that Cinder and Neo were on their way to Atlas at the end of the last one. So getting introduced to the Winter Maiden, it was like, okay, eventually this is going to come to a head. And here we finally get that payoff. What did we think of this fantastic action set piece? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Honestly, there were some amazing fight choreography. I'm not sure that anything tops Priya just reaching out and grabbing Cinder's grim arm and being like, no, honey. No. <laughs> oh, sweetie, no. I think Not that bitch. was one of the single most badass moments in Ruby. However, this whole <laughs> fight was pretty good, too. <laughs> Just that one simple hand grab. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. so effectively done. This entire scene was so effectively done. I mean, we had we got airtime. And a badass soundtrack behind it. This was like one of those final boss battle fights. I really felt like, oh god, where's my controller? Like, we have some things to do. <laughs> dodge, dodge, dodge! Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which one's the dodge button? <laughs> um, no, this was this was a lot of cool... This was a really good time. Uh, Katie, what did you think? I loved this. I know you'd been predicting, like, yeah, we're going to have Freya in the fight and things are going to go down. Like, yeah, that'd be fun. And then it actually happened. And it was a thing of wonder and glory. Um, I really appreciated all of this, honestly. And I really do like that Cinder having maiden powers isn't a be-all, end-all for everything. She's got a leg up on a lot of people, but... Penny and Winter were able, for the most part, to hold her off pretty well. And that's two people who do not have maiden powers, do not have this level of magic that Cinder has achieved slash stolen. And I really like that, like, having those powers doesn't make her terribly OP. Like, she's strong and she's good, and at the moment she seems to be Iron Man. But it's not an immediate fight ender. And I like that. And I like that by contrast, we have Freya, who's had these powers presumably for decades, possibly all her life, we don't know. And we get to see that just not even thinking about it, she can clear the room. So I really like that. And I really like the stark contrast between Cinder still struggling with what she has and Freya supremely comfortable in being a maiden for who for brothers know how long. And just not even having to think about it. Just like, yeah, no, full on ice storm. Let's do it. Don't need anyone else in this room until I remember what the hell I'm supposed to do. So I appreciated that a lot. And I, th I think you, Megan, had a theory that the powers were rejecting Cinder because of her grim bits. And I rather like that. Oh, um, yeah, the, I had a thought while we were watching the episode that, um, yeah, her, the grim parts of her body were actually acting as a hindrance or a handicap to the maiden powers. And there's nothing overtly to confirm that, um, but, like, just, just seeing the way the grim bits were reacting to her, uh, to Freya's magic, um, that it posited the question in my brain so neither confirm nor deny but like it wouldn't be surprised if her I wouldn't be surprised if her grim 
parts of her body were acting as a hindrance to those abilities in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this fight? I liked it. Um, there was a lot, even even rewatching it, I was like, this is rad. The only thing that I was really tended to pull from it was, man, Winter is very ready to take these powers. she, we, I think this is the first time we've actually seen her go, quote-unquote, anime style all out um and even then i don't think we've seen her final form but it's (laughs) it's one of those things where i don't know man i i I liked it i didn't cinder cinder going absolutely buck wild and, and starting to just lose her mind makes me wonder what she could have turned into if she got these maiden powers and i think seeing that sort of loss of control makes me wonder more about where she came from and i wonder if we're ever going to see that and what happened to possibly her stepmother and stepsisters mark are you still there i finished my comment oh we sorry we've been going in and out we lost you sorry about that. don't taunt me with in and out you know that's not nearby me Oh. <laughs> don't you have a Culver's down there? Culver's even, is good shit. I don't, don't know what Culver's. that is. It's amazing, is what it is. Yeah, it's not it's in a enough. Midwest burger chain. Go get some. Um, yeah, I. One of my friends pointed out. I think it might have been Farley. Hi, Farley. That the way that Cinder was going on about you Atlas people hoarding power only makes us hungry makes it sound like she's from Mantle. Sure did. That was going to be my next question as to whether or not we think she was from Mantle. And ultimately, it doesn't necessarily matter where she's from. We know, given the context clues, that she came from an impoverished situation or in a situation where she was made to feel powerless. So even if she's not from Mantle proper, um being you know looking at people from atlas and like looking at the haves versus the have-nots it makes sense that she would resent them no matter where she came from but if she came from mantle that would make this all very very personal and i think that's a distinct possibility given that all of all of these different things going on in Atlas are basically kind of, as as Salem put it, setting the stage for some sort of big climax. And so it makes sense that having Cinder here and having Salem here and having all of the, the Atlas stuff as the backdrop, it would make sense if Salem's back, or Cinder's backstory, if she came from Mantle, um, and came from nothing, it would make a lot of sense if that was there as like a motivate her uh, as a motivator, um, you know, for her to want to drop Atlas to the ground. Um, it, yeah, it's just it's contextually speaking, it would make a lot of sense for her to be from Mantle. Um, but to touch on that, uh, as as Mark was saying, Winter kind of went all out in this fight, and ultimately. Um, her semblance breaks pretty early on because she, you know, you take a direct hit from a maiden and, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame her for, for having her semblance broken. 
And Penny ultimately has to end up saving her. And Winter replies that, what are you doing? My life doesn't matter. And Penny disagrees. And then ultimately we have Freya unleashing her power and Penny being the only one to withstand it to make contact with Freya again. And even though Winter ultimately gets injured in the the confrontation with Salem, the way this all pans out is that Penny becomes the new Winter Maiden as Freya passes away. Now... What does this mean for Penny moving forward? And how is this, you know, how is this setting the stage for where our characters are going in the next volume? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I just, the cold never bothered her anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know you made that joke and I'm stealing it, but it had to be said. And I'm sad that you didn't say it. So I'm saying it. Go for it. It's, oh, it's good. Um. Honestly, I know that the going theory is that eventually our our team Ruby will wind up as the maidens, but honestly, at this point, I'd be okay if that didn't happen. Like, I know that's part of the pattern recognition thing is, oh yes, we have this, it corresponds, it only makes sense, but I'd be okay with that not occurring. So that, and part of it's just because I like Penny and I don't want to see her die again. Been there, done that, did not buy the t-shirt. Um, so yeah, this... This is an interesting beat to go with, especially since going into Maiden Bowl 2020, basically anything could have happened. We had multiple different turnouts and all of them were equally likely. So to have this be the payoff and have the Maiden powers at the end of the season looking like they were going to leave up until the Whale Brigade showed up, it would... It's just an interesting way for the story to go, and I haven't quite thought through the implications on that, namely because we're staring down essentially another a very large Helm's Deep style battle. So it's kind of hard to look beyond that and make any predictions when we know that everything is about 300 yards from going to hell. That's fair. Stacy, how about you? So... I never thought that Winter was going to get the Maiden's power. But Winter never thought that Winter would not get the Maiden's power. (laughs) So this sets up a very interesting new conflict. And it being Penny who does get the Maiden's power, I think just complicates it even further. Especially since we've been shown Penny and Winter interactions throughout this season and how they balance each other's humanity and kind of are that source of who you can go to if you have kind of a question about what you're doing. And we see them make two very clear different choices. Which really, I mean, I kind of knew as soon as Penny, her first thing was to gently reach up to Frey and go, are you all right? Versus Winter who comes in, you know, swords out, fighting away it set up a very interesting dichotomy between the two which i think is going to fuel many of winter's choices going forward here i'm very happy that penny has the maiden powers though (laughs) she deserves everything (laughs) especially given that um winter called the cops on everybody when this all wrapped up 
it made me kind of breathe like as as sad as I was that Winter got hurt like it I did kind of breathe a sigh of relief that she didn't get the powers because she made it very clear that no matter what she's still loyal to Ironwood mm-hmm. um and so that's going to be very interesting moving forward Mark how about you what did you think he rises from the conspiracy corner <laughs> oh yes ready to comment on the so all right so there's a, there's a couple of ways you can go and the 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 first thought if you go into the darkest corner of this here conspiracy corner is man a lot of people have got to die for wise to get them powers but <laughs> yeah. if you if you don't if you don't think like that so i.e if you think like a regular human being um there there's some ways here and i don't think they would have brought up pietro commenting about his aura and giving his aura to penny to make sure that she could come back to life if they weren't gonna check that off in some way so okay here's 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 a prediction (laughs) here's a prediction i have and it's that ironwood in his arrogance is going to take hard control of penny and put her in the transfer tubes and give the powers to winter now i don't think that that will end up happening i think he's certainly going to try but i think we're like like y'all had mentioned i think winter's going to have a huge conflict of self but i i can also imagine it's starting with winter going well, Penny's not a person, so we can do this to her. Maybe okay, maybe not Winter, but I, I I can imagine somebody having that argument that Penny is not a real girl, and and it painting them as a huge villain, both in the the aspect of the show and in real life, because that's a shitty way to think of things. Um, but the the way that they presented Pietro's aura being a part of Penny. And it being like, uh, I can't bring her back one more time without this. So it's like either Penny's going to go down again and Pietro's not going to do anything, but he wouldn't because he he would uh, sacrifice the last of his aura to bring Penny back to life. But then Penny doesn't have the powers and somebody else does. And that's ultimately what I what I think would happen. But man... Either way, it's not going to be a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be rough. Wow. <laughs> this is going to be terribly, terribly rough. Um, I I appreciate that, though, Mark. It, it's, it's really easy to, um, like, lose sight of earlier foreshadowing when things start escalating and, um, you know, things really start coming to a head. I'll be honest, I had not thought about that conversation that Pietro had with the girls for weeks because, you know, things kept escalating. It was like, here's this dinner party um, against your political rival, and now the heating grid is out with Mantle, and now all these Grimm are coming, and now Salem's coming. So, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought of that moment for a good long while, but now that you've brought it back up again, I'm like, oh, yeah... 
Mark was right about Watts. <laughs> he might be right about this too. Um, maybe we need to change the name of the conspiracy corner <laughs> to Mark was right. <laughs> Mark was right. Mark was right all along. Oh God! Um, and that's our new shirt. um but yeah this is this is going to be really interesting because yeah winter is going to have to continue to struggle with um you know duty to the the military organization that she's a part of versus duty to her family versus duty to um the world at large and that seems to be kind of the big point of contention with a lot of characters here because um ironwood seems to think that he's having a he has a sense of duty to protect as many people as he can but you know the the flip side of that is well you're leaving millions of other people to die and he um what's What's actually the bigger picture here? The fate of the entire kingdoms or just saving a small handful of people that you know you, for a fact, can save? It's it's a complicated thing, and it's only going to get muddier as time goes on and, you know, people are pushed to greater, greater and greater extremes. And I am a, I am a huge fan of a particular trope that, that we see kind of in action here. Um, when the dust settles, I, I really love when like a cop or a detective uh, looks at their friend that now is on the opposite side of them and goes, I'm going to give you a head start. And that's what Winter does here. Um, I really appreciate that trope. <laughs> I feel like it's underutilized. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, this this fight goes on. I, I also want to just like shout out real quick to Jessica Nigiri for her incredible voice work as Cinder. Normally, Cinder's pretty, like, calm and in control and has this fun kind of femme fatale um, delivery to, to her to her lines. And here, yeah, she just completely loses it. And just, again, kudos to Jessica Nagiri on those screams and the voice cracks. It was just, it was so, so good. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, but Ruby shows up along with Weiss and that's when, uh, you know, Cinder sees like, oh, shoot, party's over. I got to go. <laughs> um, and bails just a split second before she gets hit with Ruby's silver eyes. And this is a moment where earlier in the volume, Ruby had had difficult um, producing the, the power of her eyes and even just uh, like an episode ago or two episodes ago when um, Salem showed up, it seemed like her silver eyes were somehow affected by Salem's presence. And here in the, in the presence of Cinder, boom, she like, there's no hesitation. She's just able to use her abilities without any problems or anything like that. So my question to everybody here is, how is Ruby's silver eyes, like, and that ability going to play out now that she, on occasion, seems to have control of it, but is still struggling and potentially um, might, her abilities might be negated by Salem? How do we think that's going to play out in the next volume? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Well, now I'm kind of thinking of, because yes, Ruby has been struggling with it. We've seen her pull it out in times of, like, immense fear or shock which i feel like could be the case here 
But now I'm kind of wondering, what if what if the Silver Eyes has kind of a heightened reaction to things directly related to Salem, i.e. Cinder's grim arm, to the point where it's a little more easily activated or a little little quicker to activate um, as a defense, like an immediate defense mechanism. Because it seems like they charge into that room pretty fast and Ruby was able to harness that power uh, whether by choice or more just a surprise reaction. So it'll be very interesting to see her go up against Salem. I think that it's I think it's going to have to overcome a lot of intimidation because Salem is a very imposing force and we're, we're obviously not going to have Ruby just look at her and activate the <laughs> silver eyes. So we, we have a whole other arc there. But I do wonder if she's a little more susceptible to tapping into that power if it's in regards to things directly created by Salem. I think that's fair. Uh, Mark, you're over in the conspiracy corner. What do you think about this one? <laughs> um, I don't know why I just had to make a noise, but um, I th- wow. I thought okay. specifically this one was this instance of utilizing the eyes was just sort of a callback to the end of season three, where she had no hesitation, no nothing, and it was such a visceral reaction that emotionally she was able to tap into that a lot easier. So I didn't think that this was, ah, she overcame the thing that she was trying to get over from from a couple of episodes ago. I think this is just specifically anything Cinder, not necessarily Salem, but Cinder, because of how much of a distinct reaction we saw her have to Pyrrha dying and fading away in front of her. So in terms of where she goes from here, I think she's going to have confidence in this event taking place but the second she gets face to face with cinder you know we saw her earlier this season like struggling and absolutely falling into tears and anything at the sheer like any sort of direct communication from salem and i know it was specifically in in regards to her mom but now that she's not hiding behind a the hologram, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Um, but she's not hanging behind a, a transmission, but she's going to be there in the flesh. I don't think Ruby's going to be able to put it, pull it together, you know? Like, it's it's not going to go well. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Terrible thought. Terrible thought. Hey, look, uh, it's me. Uh, it's <laughs> me equals terrible thoughts. So let's go along. Finish it. Let's go along. <laughs> Let's go along the Monstro lines. What if we see see Summer Rose's cape in Monstro? I don't like it, but I, but tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I'm listening. <laughs> Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> go on. <laughs> um. Well, I mean that. Okay, not to jump ahead, but like the um when we see that demon whale come out of the clouds, um, the sheer scale of this thing is not something that should be underestimated because we we see just how tiny the griffins are right next to it. They are little tiny specks compared to how big this whale is. And so 
if we are going with the Monstro parallel, at some point, I feel like someone's going to be seeing the inside of it. And who knows, maybe Summer Rose is in fact alive, and yeah, she's been inside Monstro this whole time. I feel like anyone getting eaten by Monstro and then still being alive is going to give every single Roman Torchwick fan out there hope. <laughs> Where is my goddamn hat? I will always have hope. <laughs> <laughs> There's a poster here on the conspiracy corner board <laughs> where it's Torchwick, and it's like I want to believe <laughs> written on it. Um, yeah, you've seen it, I, you know. I, I will say that to that point, it is possible to live inside of a Grim for a little while because anybody who's read uh, After the Fall knows that at one point a character does get swallowed up by a sandworm Grim and manages to shoot their way out. So not not to go into too much spoilery detail there, but like that is a plot point. Like you can get eaten by a Grim and fight your way out. That is a possibility. Also, yes, there are Graboid Grim in the desert. Dear God, why? <laughs> um, it's pretty great. I don't, th- I never really held with the theory that Salem was able to directly mess with Silver Eyes, especially since we've seen and been told that they are very emotions based. And so I really do think that that scene with Salem was Ruby just kind of losing her shit at the implication that mom might kind of maybe be out there and that Salem definitely had something to do with it. And the fact that there was a Grimm in the room while that happened. Like, to me, that's what that read as. Especially since we have Ruby happening upon Cinder in you know the middle of a battle and kind of having that, oh, this bitch reaction with... Immediate silver eyes. Let's go. So I I think the silver eyes are always going to be easy for her to call on in terms of Cinder because she already has that emotional base and because Cinder was the initial trigger for it. And I do think after, you know, provided that certain people survive the oncoming Helm's Deep battle, I do think we'll get later moments with Ruby training with them and trying to get it down and making it something she can do more on command like we had this episode as opposed to something that she kind of has to work up to which is what we saw with the Leviathan yeah I think that's I think those are all fair fair assessments um but uh regardless Cinder uses this as an opportunity to peace out um, and Iron Man her Iron Man's her way out of uh, out of the hospital and ultimately falls, you know, fails in her objective of trying to obtain maiden powers again. <laughs> Can I just say I really appreciate the three or four very quick emotions and expressions we get from Cinder with Ruby showing up when it goes from, oh, you, to, oh, to, oh, things are going to be bad if I don't get out of here right now. Like, it goes from vengeance to uh, survival in just a few frames, a few facial expressions, and the fact that you can see it happen. Like, beautiful scripting, beautiful animation, well done. True that. Um, so to, to kind of put a, a button on this, as everything's wrapping up with, uh, some VO narration from Oz, uh, we see Neo presenting Cinder with the lamp, and Cinder takes it without a hint of gratitude, and it looks 
for a moment, like, Neo's kind of hurt by this. And I don't know about you guys, but I had sort of been anticipating that Neo would backstab Cinder at the first opportunity. And now it kind of, just based on that reaction alone, it kind of looks like maybe that wasn't what she was planning. That might still be in the cards now, because, uh, you know, Neo's coming to realize that Cinder really doesn't value her allies in the same way that Torchwick did. Um, so it might be that she's coming to realize that and that a betrayal is still on the horizon. But I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to look at, like, the idea that she had thought their partnership was just that, a partnership. And that, you know, things might be changing. Uh, and whether or not Cinder is going to use the lamp because there's one more question left. How do we think um, ultimately the team up between these two is going to shake out? You know, is, you know, <laughs> who's going to backstab the other one first? I guess, long story short. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Katie. I think that. I don't think Cinder really realizes how valuable and volatile an ally Neo is. I think that because of her hatred for Ruby and her seeing that in Neo as well, I think she assumes that this partnership is a lot more solid than it actually is. And so I think Neo is going to be the one to do the backstabbing. And I think Cinder is going to be pretty much completely taken by surprise by this. Like, really? We're doing this now? We haven't done our revenge yet. Whereas Neo, I think, is starting to figure out that she's putting in a ton of work in this partnership and getting nothing out of it. Like, nothing. Because she did that whole, like, yes, bow and present the prize thing, and you know that Roman would have been like, yes, good job, you know, just super happy. And Cinder just takes it without a word and bails. And you can see that she goes, oh, this is not going to be a partnership I enjoy. This is not, this was a mistake. Because she's stuck doing the grunt work for zero appreciation. So I think she's going to be the first one to bail. And I think it's going to be a whole lot of curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal without Cinder really realizing the inevitable bit. Stacy, how about you? I mean, absolutely. I still think that Neo is going to turn on Cinder as soon as she figures out a clean-cut path to do so. Uh, it was interesting to see her be a little surprised at the lack of anything. Maybe she at least expected Cinder to be a little bit ingratiated to her. Maybe, maybe like, oh, you're pretty valuable. But instead, she did all this work. She did what she was supposed to do. Cinder couldn't even do her job and she still got no gratitude for it so that was probably kind of just the final string being cut and now neo's like oh all right well i i tried to go along with it and make this a partnership but it is it is not <laughs> and yeah cinder better watch her back <laughs> keep your friends close and your enemies closer uh mark how about you yeah it's a situation where i think Neo is just going to wait till she gets what she wants or needs and then drop Cinder like a bad habit. Katie, you want to talk about this bitch energy. That's exactly what her face was <laughs> was registering. And th I think it's going to be as simple as that. Looking even 
farther than that, I think it might come at the best time where we we don't know who is on or in or with Salem with the space whale. And <laughs> if if the crew's there, so if if Emerald is there, then what if Emerald sees Cinder walking around with a new uh, Patsy or supporter or whatever she thinks is going on. And as Emerald is running towards uh, Cinder or Neo to attack, Neo just steps out of the way and lets them fight. And then we get like a double come up and sort of a thing. Ooh, that would be wild. And I love it. What that like? Why are you working with her? <laughs> yeah. I thought we had something special. You chose that buffoon over me. <laughs> uh, speaking of, speaking yeah, of Watts, during this uh, during this wrap up, we we do get confirmation. Mark again, congratulations um, on Watts being alive and being incarcerated, um, which makes sense. Actually, the the more I thought about it, it made sense because like he had locked everybody out of. Um, he had basically locked everybody out of the system, and you probably need him alive if you wanted to get the heating grid on Mantle back online. So once I thought about it, I was like, yeah, dropping him into the magma probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Would have felt good, um, though. <laughs> but Mark, yeah, congratulations. You were correct. Give yourself a hand. All I'm saying is that I didn't know horses could get this tall. <laughs> Just be careful on your way down. You might slip. It's awfully high. You got it. Uh, <laughs> Assuming he'll come down. Uh, I live here now. Yeah, yep. Yep. Um, shoot. Are we going to have to get a stable for the horse? No. Is the horse just going to live in the house now? That can't be good. The horse is in the hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> the hospital? Oh, oh no. <laughs> The horse is in the hospital and nobody knows what's going to happen next. Um, And on that note, yeah, uh, Watts is still alive and who knows how, I I don't know, maybe him being around is ultimately like Ironwood is going to be working with him in the next volume, like further blurring the lines between what is right and wrong, even though you know you can't trust Watts. But I don't know. We'll see. Um Oh, I think Watts is breaking out and going back to mom in much the same way that I am sure that Tyrion is looking up at this cloud and going, pick me up, pick me up. (laughs) I did what you wanted. I've been a good boy. Like, yeah, no, letting them live just means they're going back to Salem. Stacey, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. I think Watts' very pleased reaction was a direct uh, reaction to the thunderclouds gathering and he knew exactly what that meant yeah mustache curl though oh yeah (laughs) he's ready (laughs) i think another one of my predictions from earlier in the season is going to come true in that uh the amity tower amity arena is going to get weaponized and um watts will probably either make that happen or be very much involved with making that happen and i don't know if it's going to be it, like i it'll be one of two things it either watts is going to do everything or in response to salem in the sky james is going to uh weaponize it 
and try to launch it, and then to, and then uh, Watts is going to take it at the last second. I'm sorry, I have to. Salem in the sky with Monstro. <laughs> oh man, um, I I love I love the idea of weaponizing Amity Tower, um, because the the Amity Arena, like, because yeah, it, when we were first introduced to it at the beginning of this volume, the fact that it was still around and what it was being used for, um, you know, it was this symbol of hope for what was to come and weaponizing it is absolutely like destroying that symbol. Um, so I, I, I like that idea. <laughs> I also like the idea of it like shooting a laser at Salem, like the arc reactor from Sonic Adventure two. And just like her just holding up a hand with magic and being like, nah, nah, bitch, <laughs> not, not today. Um, and it doing nothing. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Also, something being named Amity, as in, like, friendship becoming a doom weapon. I can appreciate this. Yeah, that's kind of, um, weaponizing Amity Coliseum would very much be, like, destroying some sort of legacy. You know, Oz's legacy, basically, because Beacon has fallen, Amity Arena is kind of like was meant to be the symbol of like friendship and camaraderie between the kingdoms and yeah weaponizing it would completely destroy that uh, all that meaning so that's that's interesting I like that um okay so yeah uh to to um to touch again on what Katie was saying earlier Tyrion got away and as we're wrapping up Crow and Robin are apprehended and are being Carter carted away to jail. Now, there's a lot that can happen here, and it looks like the two of them, at least, are sort of on the same page. Like, Robin isn't completely... Like, Robin's pretty compassionate to the fact that Clover has just died, and it looks like she is trying to comfort Crow in this moment because he was afraid of getting close to somebody and then lost that person that he was growing closer to. And now, you know... Things are lurking worse than ever as he's being apprehended um, and Team Ruby is making their getaway. Uh, like, what what comes next for these two? Are they going to do a jailbreak together? Are the happy huntresses going to bust them out of jail? Is Crow just going to turn into a bird and fly away? Um, how, how is this all going to pan out and resolve itself? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. I think I see a team up in the near future. I do think they're kind of on the same page. And I think Robin is an excellent judge of character. And it seems like she has made that judgment, as we see from her comforting Crow at the end there. Uh, Man, I'm still very worried about Crow. Although, (laughs) I will say he looked devastated in the transport, but he did not look broken. And that gives me hope. Um... Also, I'm here for the Happy Huntresses breaking them out. They're coming for Robin, and Robin's like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta bring Crow, too. He can come. It's okay. <laughs> He's honorary. It's fine. Yeah. He's our maid, Marion. <laughs> hey, guys, bird is the word, and we got two birds here. The jailbirds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make a, hand, uh, a joke about bird in the hand being worth two in the bush, but no, jailbirds wins. <laughs> Good job, Stacey. Jailbird's words. 
gonna say this is the bird friendship I need, but oh my god, jailbirds! That's it. That's the ship name. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I didn't want to clap because that's just gonna make a lot of pops in the microphone thing. But yeah, no, that was magical, Stacy. Fantastic, <laughs> phenomenal. Um, I I see it happening a little differently. I think. The, the happy huntresses coming in and breaking Robin on Robin like come on crow but I think crow is gonna feel like he deserves to be in jail like he's going to stay a little bit longer either because he feels guilty or he doesn't want to cause anybody any more harm or whatever I feel like at the at least at the very beginning he's gonna stay in jail for a second because he doesn't know he doesn't know what actual good he can do but eventually something will maybe maybe hearing like like we talked about uh hearing one of his uh his nieces cry out or or getting a call or whatever but i think at the very beginning he's going to wallow a little bit i think that's fair katie how about you he's carrying the badge and everything Aww. like he's uh i think there've been theories floating around that he's going to start wearing it and I'm like, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, please clean it first. Uh, Crow, you okay there, buddy? Um, I am also down for, for one, getting more of the happy huntresses in general. I feel like with the exception of Fiona, most of them were pretty underrepresented this volume. So given that the Aesops are currently down for the count, I would love to see them swing into action. Um, I am down for a jailbreak because Megan pointed this out in our reaction video, but a lot of Robin Hood movies start with Robin Hood in jail during the Crusades. So starting with a jailbreak sounds like a pretty good plan to me. Um, yeah, no, this, this is the friendship that I need in my life. And I think right now Robin is the right person to be able to help Crow through this at least well enough to function in the oncoming battle, because let's be real, we're going to need him. Yeah, I think more than anything, he needs a friend right now. Yeah. And I, I, in all seriousness, I think Robin's a really good candidate for that. Um, but yeah, more happy huntresses. I need them in my life. <laughs> um, so yes, please. To, yes to all of that. Um, and that sort of does it, you know, uh, Salem, Salem shows up looking freaking stunning. Fierce. In her, yes. Girl <laughs> got a glow up. Like, I know she's our bad guy and I know all that, but like, yes, queen, when you show up at your ex's place, like, <laughs> cause that's what she's doing. She's like showing up her, at her ex's place to wreck the place. That's what's happening. Um, so you have to admire her in some regard for that. Um, but no, she's, she's finally here. She's no longer waiting in the shadows and what comes next is going to be really exciting and let's be honest, probably really destructive. Um, but this volume as a whole has just been, you know, it's been a, an emotional roller coaster ride and it's been so, so much fun and I think it's it's important to point out that at the end of the credits, there was, instead of a post-credit scene, they did a memorial to uh, Monty because uh, the day this episode was released, it was the five-year anniversary of his passing. 
And so I think it's important to sort of acknowledge that the importance that the that move continuing to move forward, remembering him and, you know, continuing the work that they all set out to do all those years ago. I think it's important to remember that and to thank Kruby for all of the hard work because it it couldn't have been easy picking up and moving on without him and they continued to do so and every year the show has gotten better and better and uh, yeah I think we should all just give a heartfelt thank you to Kruby for continuing this story and a heartfelt thank you to Monty for creating it so thank you thank you thank you um is there anything else we want to touch on from this episode or from this volume um, that we want to say before we wrap it up for the day? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Well, I mean, we, we went into this pretty excited. You know, six ended six ended terribly in, in the sense of like, oh boy, we've got literally an entire country facing us off. And I feel like the way that they weaved the history of the city as well as the history of the whole world there there's a lot of a lot of really great world building that happened in this season and i i was a big fan of it um there's some controversy that i don't think was very warranted and i think the crew did a wonderful job in making a story that is palatable for all ages, even though there is plenty of darkness, it was handled in a way where a lot of people could really gain some uh, sense of sense of self. I don't, I don't know the, the phrase I'm trying to use, but just people could pull a lot from a lot of this show. And I think eight's even gonna, just with the way that it ended season seven ended, I think eight's gonna push the show even further and even even though Salem is showing up on the battlefield, I don't think we're anywhere close to done. And and I'm interested to find out the future of Ruby. Well said. Stacy. The one thing I keep thinking throughout this volume is that every action and the subsequent like consequences, what happens next, has been so satisfying. This whole season has been such a celebration of storytelling and i think we've seen just great character arcs great character growth and for a volume that was so self-contained if you think about it just taking place in mantle and atlas we really narrowed in on one place and we didn't have a ton of movement and yet we explored so many different facets not only of our characters but of the world around them how things work why they work that way and we got to reach into so many far-flung places to kind of put together more of this world and prepare us for this upcoming battle. And they did just such a phenomenal job lining up all of the pieces, giving us satisfying character arcs, and really filling in character motivations, giving us very solid ideas of who these characters are, even ones that we very briefly see. Yeah, the the world building and characterizations this volume were absolutely top notch. Katie, how about you? The middle chapter is always the hardest to do. 
And for me, I think Ruby is a lot like Red versus Blue in that it functions in arcs. We had our first three as Beacon. We had four and five doing a lot of soul-searching, character-building, and getting the band back together. And then I'm seeing, for me, I'm seeing six, seven, and eight as a trilogy, with six being the beginning of the journey to Atlas, and then seven so far being, we're here, holy shit. So the middle chapter is always the hardest to do, and it's generally seen as either the strongest or the weakest of any given trilogy. It'll be interesting to see how eight plays out, but at this point, I'd have a hard time choosing between six and seven in terms of what's the stronger chapter, because they're both very well executed. And given that this is the first time we've had a full-on cliffhanger for Ruby, and it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like we've just hit a wall and now we have to wait. We've actually got some satisfactory resolution for a lot of the stuff that was built up this chapter. Like, that is incredibly difficult to do. So just in terms of the mechanics of storytelling, I think this chapter was incredibly well executed. And again, going back to just because we made predictions and they came true doesn't mean that we saw the full execution of how things were going and the execution was what made it truly spectacular. Um, I like that we had character returns. I like that we had character introductions. I like that all of these characters were fully rounded people. It's like, oh, I've only known you for like eight or ten episodes, but that's okay. I love you and you're mine now. <laughs> like, there, we, we introduced probably ten characters this volume, and every single one of them you can pick out and go, yes, that person with that thing. I like them. They're not just background characters. They're not, you know, the other seat fillers in a classroom anime. They're, they're important. And this is all, this is all so damn hard to do. And I think Kruby did a fantastic job of it. And I cannot wait for eight. No, seriously, I can't. Send me an advanced copy. I need it. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> yes, because I have that power. Uh, no. <laughs> Send us the scripts. Yes. <laughs> um, disclaimer, we don't have that kind of connection. We are in no way getting the scripts for these. <laughs> I would not turn them down, though. Uh, <laughs> the uh, This was so much fun. Um, I think Volume 7, because, like, Volume 6, uh, prior to going into 7, was my favorite volume. And I, I'm still, you know, deciding on how I feel about whether or not I like 7 more than I like 6. But I think, ultimately, 7 is the, uh, like, even though 6 might still be my favorite, I still... I think seven is the best volume of Ruby so far. Um, and maybe it's a little too early to call that because because um, we don't know how things are going to pan out with all these different plot points in the future. But as of right now, I think seven's the best volume we've gotten so far. And Atlas has been my favorite kingdom to explore. Um, just aesthetically, it looks so cool. Um, the the classism that's there is really interesting. And, you know, we kind of touched on more of the, the underbelly of crime and Mistral than we did in Atlas. But you know it's there. And just the political unrest parallels I thought were really interesting. And also how while doing all this lofty world building stuff, the the writers were still able to make this 
a very human story. And the development we got with Weiss's family was really interesting and really heart heartfelt and really hard hitting. Um, and all the, the dilemmas in terms of like who you are, um, when you're afraid and the dilemmas of like, what do we, what, how do you know you're making the right choice? Those are all very human dilemmas. And I thought that they were, executed really really well within the framework of this volume and um I'm really I I always really enjoy looking at the the overall theme of a particular volume and I really enjoyed those themes uh for volume seven and I'm really looking forward to what comes next so um yeah this was a lot of fun and I can't can't wait for more and <laughs> it's gonna be such a long wait um but don't worry to everybody uh we want to hear what you guys thought about this volume as well and uh we hope you'll stick around because this isn't going to be our final ruby discussion um you know just because the season's done doesn't mean that ruby redux is going away just quite yet um, we want to hear your guys' thoughts, not only about this volume, but also what you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, Mark, do you want to touch on that? Yes, I do. So uh, on our previous platform, we used to do a season recap afterwards. So we're not saying that that's exactly what we're going to be doing, but um, if there are any like anybody who's been listening throughout the whole season or not, or just joining on, if there's any topics that you want us to sort of come back to and discuss that you don't think that we gave enough time to, or if there's anything that uh, didn't come up at all or anything that you really want us to focus on, leave us a question either in our discord on Twitter. Twitter is honestly the easiest place where we'll be able to see it. Cause if you tag it, if you tag us, because our discord moves a mile a minute, let me tell you. So uh, <laughs> leave us questions there. And if we get enough, um, we'll do a full uh, season recap and we'll just touch on little things throughout the season or arcs or whatever. Um, but we have uh, a poll that's uh, that should be up right now that has a, a series of selections of things that you would like us to do a show on. And, and we put this up on Twitter a little while ago as a non-poll and everybody said, just do all of them. But based on interest of this poll, it will sort of determine what we do first and and the the severity of which we we put time and effort into it so we may have a a a little bit of a of a break in between just so that we can figure out these episodes but we do have some stuff planned that's going to be coming out um in between but um some of the things that we were talking about were an episode that purely takes place in the conspiracy corner something that takes (laughs) uh place just in the love loft uh, a review yeah. of ec myers after the fall a retrospective on chibi since we haven't necessarily heard anything about it in a while um and uh we we got suggestions of the ruby equivalent of rvb 14 which is the the season where it was sort of non-canon well it's it's elseworlds it's just sort of small stories within the universe of red versus blue and what a ruby version of that would look like uh we got a suggestion of each member of the podcast making their own original character and workshopping them and then i suppose coming together as a as a team so we like we would have our own fiction within our own fiction 
which is interesting. Um, a soundtrack uh, coverage review, that's something that I've heard come up several times where people just want us to talk about the music, even if we may not know sort of uh, techniques or styles or this or that. Um, we don't talk a lot about the soundtracks, and it's difficult when they don't come out until months after the show goes off the air. So um, maybe it's something where we can do a multi-part series from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of ideas that we had and that were suggested by you. So make sure to go to Twitter at the Rooster Team. Follow us anyway, but also vote on this poll. We're going to leave it up for a while uh, and determine what our next couple of episodes are going to be from there. Thank you, Mark. And uh, yeah, uh, to also plug some uh, of our own fiction, too, if you need more Ruby to tide you over, um, you know, check out our, our our original series, Welcome to Vale, which is basically a Ruby uh, Welcome to Night Vale mashup. Uh, it's a Welcome to Night Vale style show set in the world of Remnant, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely... It, I don't know. No, you could just say it. We 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 have some we have some stuff in the works and and a new episode I hope will be coming within the next couple of weeks. So yeah, guys, um be sure to if you haven't already, subscribe so that you can keep up to date with that. Follow us everywhere so you can keep up to date with all our projects. Um yeah, you guys, it's been such a pleasure getting to talk about Ruby with you all. So thank you all so so much. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can keep up with me on Twitter and Instagram at MarkBDonica. I've been going on a lot of adventures lately in and around the country. And um, we're my wife and I are looking into bringing back our theme park podcast soon. So uh, follow me on Twitter for more information on that. Stacy, You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. I'll be looking for something to fill the void while Ruby is gone. It's going to be fine. Uh, I've also been uh, working on some cosplay stuff, and I started a brand new D&D campaign with my family, so that's going to be real fun to uh, struggle through. So uh, you'll hear about that on social. Oh, that'll be so fun. I need to know what you're playing. You'll get all the details. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Katie, where can people go? You can follow me all over the social medias, as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe, that is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you enjoy reaction videos to these episodes, and I'm sure that a lot of you are going to enjoy the reactions to 11 and 12, or rather 12 and 13, um, (laughs) all of the above, let's be real, they live on that YouTube channel. I'm still working on revitalizing the Twitch, so a little more on that. I am also on an Overwatch podcast called On The Point. We do Overwatch and Overwatch League, and that is also available on all your podcasting platforms, so check that out. We are gearing up for... Season three, God help us all. <laughs> and my name is Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost. And I do a YouTube channel called Silver Screens where Katie and I talk about horror things. Uh, as Mark said before, be sure to follow the whole team at the Rooster Team. Join the Discord. You can support us on Anchor with a monthly subscription or support us on Public by buying a t-shirt of the silly things that we say. Um, but more importantly, again, thank you so much to Kruby. Thank you to Monty. And thank you all so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye. <laughs>